Good afternoon, planet Earth. Good afternoon to the Gumptic people of the desert. Good afternoon to the Mole Rat Kings and to the kingdoms of the Cavery. Good afternoon to Antarctica and all the douchebags collecting themselves and their crap and their gold down there ain't gonna save you because I hate to break it to you, the Lord sees wherever you run. It is Sunday, May the 22nd, 2022, Bo Blimp Doc. It's right afternoon, so we can call it afternoon, right? Mountain Standard Time here in the great state of Utah. In the shadow of the Uinta Mountains, I think maybe perhaps the only east-west mountain range in the United States of America... To the east of us are the Rockies, to the south is desert and scrub and wasteland, to the west of us is nothing but desolation. But here in the cuddly center of Duquesne County, Duchesne, you pronounce it however the fuck you want to, buddy. We are protected from the Gimulac freaks and the Grombos and the Crombos as I drink my coffee. I will drink my coffee. I will set up my Gatling gun that fires mixed 12 gauge. That's right. Interesting times, brothers and sisters. It's almost like someone could have told you about this in 2019 and, you know, figured out more of the picture in 2020. If only someone could have told you about the crazy that was coming. Uh, like, imagine a podcast called The Great Discontinuity that was published in, I believe, November 2019. Before the monkey herpes. Wouldn't it have been helpful to know something about this? But the reality is, it's not. Nobody cares. There's a reason why the Cassandra myth is a myth. In fact, why don't we read about Cassandra? Because boy, oh boy, that's not just a good name for a hooker stripper. Cassandra. Cassandra, Cassandra, the Trojan princess Cassandra. Cassandra, Cassandra. Cassandra was said to be the daughter of King Priam, enraged Apollo, blah, blah, blah. So he added the cursey curse that if she ever saw the future, nobody would believe her and probably people would poop on her. Yep, let's not get into the full mythology here because I don't really give a fuck. But the point is, Cassandra is an ancient, you know, Greek myth. And the myth of Cassandra is kind of simple. If you, if you actually tell people unhappy news, you will be greeted with a stone. You should read the Bible, even if you're an atheist. Read about the prophets. You know, there's a lot of bullshit about Christianity and Judaism that gets produced in the mass media because most of those fuckers don't read the Bible. And the more you read the Bible, you begin to realize that, yeah, it wasn't just Shakespeare that cribbed off of the Bible. It was also Nietzsche, you fuck. So, by the way, you should read the Bible. And in the Bible, there are prophets. And the prophets are beloved by God. And in a way, in a very powerful way, they are obligated and given a mission. Now, you could say the obligation and the mission given to a prophet is a curse. If you read the book of Jonah, and it's actually one of my favorite books, not the favorite, but one of my favorites is the book of Jonah. If you read the book of Jonah, Jonah's the story, the probably very realistic depiction of not just what it means to be a prophet, but in terms of the New Testament, what it means to be a disciple. If Jesus says, come walk with me, if the Lord says, follow my path, 
it's not easy. And it doesn't lead to like 70-some hookers in the afterlife like with other religions. It's hard. It's painful. It's entirely plausible that you end up hated by everybody. The story of the prophet is the story of Cassandra. It is the story of somebody that brings news that you probably don't want to hear. Now, some of the prophecy in the Old Testament were, were, were basically what I would categorize as glad tidings. The prophecy that concerns the Nazarene, the prophecy that concerns the baby Jesus, the prophecy that concerns the Lord in heaven made man to teach us a lesson or two. There are prophecies in the Old Testament that point that direction. And when those prophecies were fulfilled, it reified faith. But I'll tell you something, the prophets that told those stories, even the good, happy stories, were often chased all over hell. Murderers were sent after them. Their families were murdered and slaughtered. Their life was crap. So before you judge Jonah too harshly on how Jonah doesn't want the job, understand this. By the time of Jonah, and again, Jonah's in the wisdom books, so perhaps Jonah is apocryphal in the way that it's used in typical language, which means, you know, it's probably just a story. There probably wasn't a historic Jonah. But but the point is, the story's still valid because the person who wrote the story understood after so many prophets had been chased and beaten and murdered that being a prophet fucking sucks. The story of Cassandra is a general story that applies to most of human history. And I would even say an anthropologist could probably tell you that if you research and you do comparative anthropology between customs and mythological systems across the world. I don't care if it's Asia, South America. I don't care if it's the Polynesians. It could be somebody in fucking Siberia. The story of the dude that comes back to the fire and says, there's a flood coming. There's a fire in the hills. The food will be gone soon. Many will die. You usually get thrown into the fucking fire. That's the story of trying to tell people or warn people. You see, a warning is almost literally, probably literally by definition, a bad thing. I mean, I guess you can warn people about good things, but usually you're not, well, if it's like a surprise party, you're supposed to keep your mouth shut, right? But if it's a good thing, it's, you know, like glad tidings. It's hopeful. It's positive. You know, it's serendipitous. But a warning is usually something like, listen, buddy, there's a whole bunch of tigers coming. They broke out of the tiger farm. That dude was not kidding when he said he'd release all the tigers. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Now, if it happens to be obvious in a matter of minutes that tigers are chasing your brothers and sisters and friends and family down the streets of your town, then it doesn't require any faith in the prophecy or in the prediction to do what you're supposed to do. But what if someone tells you, for example, 10 years ago, that in about a decade, everything's going to fall apart. And what if someone tells you in 2015 in an essay called Odds of Survival that in about five or six years, things are going to get really, really shitty and terrible? And what if someone tells you in 2019 that the Scroobly is coming and best case scenario, you and the people you love will be financially fucked? And that's, you know, that's putting it mildly. And what if someone told you in March of 2020 that the pandemic and the coming race war and the Trump trauma drama and the never-ending Biden bullshit, that all of it wasn't just random and it was designed to keep you fucking immobilized for some unbeknownst reason. And you still don't know and I don't know. That's how I feel today. I don't really care. I kind of hope I'm crazy. I really do. At this point in time, I care enough about the people I love that I hope I'm insane. Because if I'm insane, then what's about to happen isn't going to happen. And a lot of people won't be screaming out in the night, and people won't go to sleep at night in their cities, hearing their neighbor's children bawl to death, almost literally to death, because they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're, they're not getting any relief, you know? 
I hope I'm crazy or stupid. I hope I'm crazy and stupid. That would feel a lot better. But if you want to ask me the question, well, will people say thank you and give you money? No. I knew this a couple years ago. I knew this 10 years ago that telling people the truth leads to nothing good. And I even knew this before I became a Christian. I knew that trying to be honest with people about some serious issues only harshed their buzz. It made their life seem miserable. Who the fuck wants to hear this negative bullshit? But brothers and sisters, the piles of bones that you find throughout archaeological history, the piles of bones that are left behind in mass graves are often the piles of bones of people who wanted to pretend everything is okay. So how am I feeling? Some mixture between being at peace and, you know, basically being resigned, basically, with a little tinge of anger. I don't know what you call that. Maybe a completely new emotion. Nobody ever wants to hear bad news. And guess what? Neither do I. We all want to hear positive news. I wish there was evidence right now that we would all go back to something called a free republic because that would be better for everybody that would be healthier that would be better for nature the world could heal through liberty i, I would love it but it ain't gonna fucking happen okay there is no way to get there from here there might have been 10 20 30 40 years ago the problem was people were fat dumb and happy it's kind of like how the constitution and the republic began they began with an army, but the army was pointed towards people who were not the good white Christians of the East Coast. It was pointed towards people that nobody cared about. It was pointed towards people that were marginalized in fiction and marginalized in weeklies. By the time you get to the 1840s and 50s, the Holocaust of Native Americans was well on its fucking way. And many an American back then, um, Davy Crockett, I believe, was one of them. But many an American in the early to mid-19th century had the opinion that what we were doing was wrong. Many people understood that. They saw through the bullshit fiction. They saw through the rape tales and the stories of savages killing good white women. And they understood that it was literally the fucking opposite. Nobody cared. Nobody wants their good times ruined. Nobody wants their party to end. If you want to know the purpose of prophecy, it is not to invest in the stock market. Because the history of prophecy, or predictions that nobody wants to hear, is a history of the person who says what they say and gets marginalized and ostracized and becomes an outcast. And nobody really wants... I mean, if you're not a, if you're not a sociopath, if you have emotional intelligence, you probably want to live with people. You don't want to be pushed to the edge of nowhere. Even hermits like me still want to hang out with people once in a while. You know, every once in a while. If you thought that I got into this podcast shit because I truly believed I would become a bazillionaire, that would be half true. I kind of thought that I would make enough money to get by to purchase enough food and water and resources to get by, I kind of thought I could make enough money to sort of build up my resources for what was coming. And in some ways, the social capital I've gained from that has paid dividends. I would not be alive today if it weren't for my podcast. How does that work exactly? Well, I have a few people out there who listen or who are just way beyond generous um, and who have kept me from becoming homeless and who have kept me from ending up in the streets. I had one listener drive up to Seattle a year ago and pick up my ass and drive me to fucking Utah. And you can say what you will about Utah. Believe me, I say a whole bunch. Say what you will about this place, but it saved my fucking life. So I didn't make a trillion dollars. And this is the thing about the Lord in heaven. You know, people sometimes ask the question, does the Lord in heaven have a sense of humor? How can you teach if you don't? How can you get people to learn if there isn't a joke or a punchline? Because that's how you get people to learn. 
I, I've said this before, and Dr. Freckles has said this too. Step one to learning, don't die. Because when you don't die, you get a chance to see the punchline. Oh shit, that could have been me. Fuck, I, I almost did that. Good thing I didn't. When you don't die, you get to see the punchline from Earth. And if you do die, you might get to see it from Heaven. But, you know, the first step to learning, at least in that Ecclesiastes sense, is don't die. The Lord in Heaven has a sense of humor, and the Lord in Heaven loves to use a punchline or a joke, or some type of funny trick to get you on the right path. I think that's true. The Lord said he made us in his image, and we love to joke. And I've got to tell you, I think a lot of conscious creatures do. I don't care if it's dogs, cats, um, parrots, or octopus. I think, or chimpanzees, I think joking around is a feature of consciousness. It's one of these ways to deal with the simple fact that you have the knowledge of knowing that you can know, and the knowledge of knowing you will never know enough. It's tricky. It's a mess. We have a dog right now, a dog I love, um, I'm really close to, named Boomer, and he has to wear a muzzle a lot of the time because he was raised to be a fighting dog. And most of the time, he's the nicest dog in the world, but you get between him and cheddar cheese, nacho cheese, Believe me, he almost took off my middle finger, and I use that a lot, a lot, a lot. About a week ago, he almost tore off my middle finger. So he's wearing a muzzle. He's wearing a muzzle, and he's going around trying to rub it off his face, and he's going around trying to remove it by sticking it in door jams. And I do think, and on one level, it feels like a kind of cruelty, but the reality is it's protecting him and it's protecting other people. He doesn't wear it all the time. But does he wear it in the context of where he might harm somebody? Yeah, and he might have to wear it for a long time. Uh, my friend has told me maybe for the rest of his life he'll have to wear it at times because that's where he's at. He learned, he learned a lot of bad stuff when he was young. And, and sometimes those lessons you learn when you're a baby, they don't go away, especially when it comes to things like food and water and shelter. Bad news is bad news for a reason. Nobody wants to say you got cancer, you know? It takes courage to tell the truth. I was sitting in a room with a sibling with two of my siblings, one of which was dying of cancer, and we were in front of an oncologist and he said to the one that was dying from cancer, "Do you want to know the truth?" And this was 10 years ago almost. And I knew at the time that logically speaking, if you're looking at somebody who's had cancer, the cancer comes back and you stare at them in the eyes and they know what's going on in their body and you say, are you sure, are you sure, Nancy, you want to know the truth? Well, you pretty much told them the truth, asshole. And, and at the time, I thought the guy was a coward because he ended up doing what he needed to do, but in the most passive, aggressive, shitty Seattle way possible like a really a real giant piece of shit. And if you want to know why I don't miss Seattle, that oncologist in September of 2012 symbolized everything about that fucking town. Not everybody's a piece of crap, but it doesn't take many turds to spoil the soup. And believe me, there are a lot of fucking rat turds in that fucking soup. There might be one or two, a couple. I know of one who does who works there but flees to the peninsulas, so he doesn't really live there and you know for the same reason that I'm talking about really. So not everyone there is crap, but it's a it's a city that has fallen. Not in the physical sense. I think they still get shipments of food. I think their fluoridated water still gets pumped in. I think a lot of things still happen for Seattle. But in terms of fallen, their spirits, their souls, the collective ethos of Seattle has turned to fucking shit. 
And what's funny is if you walk into a room of these shitheads and you say, you need to worry about this, not this. If you say, listen, I know you're focused on the monkey pox or the monkey herpes or the monkey crabs. I know you're worried about monkey VD and whatever bat soup is for sale today. But maybe what you should really be worried about is the fact that at some point in the near future, there's not going to be any fucking food. And I remember telling people this in November of 2019. Not 2018 or 2017. Believe me, brothers and sisters, if you listen to my podcast, I raise the alarm at specific moments in time. I told a sibling of mine, I believe in September of 2019, that there would come a time in the future where the true church of God would have to go underground. I said it was just a few months away. I didn't know about the monkey herpes, the monkey crabs, and now the monkey pox. But what I did know is a darkness was coming. And that doesn't make me special, brothers and sisters. Do you know what the first step to uh, understanding what's going on? Remove distractions. If you want to understand what's going on in your life, you need to get rid of your fucking smart device. I don't care. Yeah, get a flip phone. I have a flip phone. It's cheap as fuck. If you need a phone, get a phone. And maybe you leave it at home most of the time because for most of my life, really, it's still true because I was 32 when I got my first mobile device, um, maybe 31, but yeah, 31, 32. For most of my life, I never had a mobile phone and I didn't worry about people tracking me. In fact, if you had told me in the 90s that people would need to be tracked or should be tracked, I would have said, fuck you, this is America. And if you'd caught me wearing the uniform as an officer, I would have made a judgment call about punching you in the fucking face. Fucking what? Track me? That's not what I took an oath to, but again, I was a fool back then. Whatever oath I took did not match the real oath of the officers above me. There is no upside to, to warning people, especially at this point. There is no upside to telling people that best case scenario, this is best case, we are facing what could be categorized as a 500 year event. The kind of event that only happens maybe two or three times in a thousand years. That is, if we're really fucking lucky. If we're just, you know, if if the Lord in heaven has decided that we're not so shitty, that even though we've done terrible fucking things as a society, that we condoned evil, even if we didn't explicitly do the evil, we condoned it, that we continue to worship our masters and don't get me started on the voting. This time it'll work, Dan. I'm going to vote really hard this year. If I vote really hard, it'll all get better. No, listen, if we're lucky, what's about to happen happens maybe two or three times every thousand years. And when it goes really sideways, it can lead to something called the Dark Age. And what's a Dark Age? Well, a Dark Age is a period of time where there's very little written material other than oral history. So you have tales and you have legends. This is where the Arthurian legends come from, Beowulf, shit like that. From periods of time where you have legends and mythologies and maybe a few priestly casts, you know, copying books from old-timey times. But for the most part, there's very little written history. That's a dark age. If we're really lucky, we'll avoid a dark age. But that's baked into the cake now. You can't tell people that. If they just bought Tesla, if they're mining Bitcoin, you can't tell people that if they need to believe everything's going to be, I can't, they say it's the fourth turning. The fourth turning's bullshit. The fourth turning is about as real as Fukuyama's endism. It's bullshit. What is coming happens, if we're lucky, about two or three times every 1,000 years. And that's if we're really fucking lucky. Okay? What is coming is going to be like the 14th century crisis, but way worse. Because in some ways, this crisis started 100 years ago. What is coming, if it's the worst case could end up reducing the last 7,000 years of human history to a paragraph or two. There were these people that called the, the garbage people. They left garbage everywhere. We still have some of their antidepressants. Isn't that funny from 20,000 years ago, Bublim Talk? And we, the, the raccoon people of the year, whatever, 20, 20, 25 or whatever, yeah. The raccoon people will dig through our fucking bones, our optimistic, positive mental attitude. I read the book, The Secret Bones. 
and they'll probably call us the garbage people. And, th and there'll be a paragraph about the garbage people. They love to spread their garbage around and their poop. They spread a lot of radiation around. They love to do it. They believe that you could print little pieces of paper and trade it around and just, you know, fuck nature to death. Because they didn't believe in consequences. And many of the Christians of that time, because who knows, maybe Christianity survives with the raccoon people, they didn't understand there were consequences in the world after Eden and before the kingdom. This is the world of consequences. When you do shit that's wrong, shit happens. And that's my rant on talking to people about what's about to happen. Here's the first official topic. We're going to talk about family. Um, a lot of people think family's about biology. And, and that is true in that earthly, ecclesiastical, book of life sense, family's about biology. It's about having sex. It's about making babies. Those babies are brothers and sisters. Those babies are children, sons, you know, children, sons and daughters, right? Um, family is about biology. If it was only about biology, it wouldn't be that interesting. It would be a lot like, you know, the lilies of the field. It would be a, it would be a process. It might even be beautiful, but it would be mechanical. There are lots of people who think that family's a lie. There are many people in what's called the neo-Marxist movement, certainly post-World War II, who would say the constructs of family and gender and the structure of sexual relationships is completely societally you know, dependent, and ergo the family is a lie. Karl Marx might say the family is a lie. In fact, if you read Plato's Republic, um, he talked about taking children from their parents and sharing the parentage amongst the, the great elders of that golden society. Plato, a.k.a. Socrates, would have said family is a lie. Some believe that the family is being destroyed right now. And a lot of conservative groups, and I'm not going to mock them because I think there's a lot of people who call themselves conservative and are well-meaning, but there are a lot of conservative groups out there who would say, well, I think the government and the communists are trying to destroy the family, and it's happening right now, and it's terrible. And I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but there's truth in that. I think that the people that run the world right now love having their own family, their own kind of royal families, but the rest of us are mostly supposed to be slaves. Now, it's not going to work out well for them, not because of any magic, but because of reality. But this is what they believe. They would just assume see all of us end up like Robert Duvall in THX 1138 with a shaved head and an asexual friend in our pod and being tortured by cattle prods periodically by robots. I mean, that's how they would like to treat family down the road. Many, many people in the conservative movement who call themselves Republicans or Libertarians and some Democrats, but many people who call themselves conservative would say, yes, Dan, our government, our culture is destroying the family. And I would argue, motherfucker, you let that happen. It's like the gun control thing. People will say, Dan, once they take our guns, no, buddy. Once they take your gun, they've taken a chunk of metal. You can make weapons, you can steal weapons. If you say to yourself that the only way you're free is if you have a gun in your home that you bought at Cabela's with a registration that has been approved by the federal government, then buddy, you're not fucking free. And you don't own that gun, buddy. If you have to license it or pay a tax on it, you don't own it. If you have to register it and put it into institutions that you don't want to, you don't control it. You don't own it. It's not part of you. And this applies to your car, your cat, your dog, your fucking gun you bought at Cabela's. By the way, stop buying guns that involve registration. That's really fucking stupid. This involves your good ham radio license. And above all else, this involves your children. Okay? If you have to register your children, if you have to be forced to give them shots, if they have to have a magical social security number for some magical Ponzi scam that will never pay off, then you don't really have authority over your children either, do you? Someone else does. A lot of people think the system is trying to destroy the family, and I would argue that's half true. 
People are allowing it to happen because they're moral cowards. Some people believe, and, and this is something I have learned to believe, I didn't really understand this until a few years ago, but some people believe family is what you make. It's your tribe. It's your group. It's the, the people you end up with because you can live with them. You know, I come from a big family, eight kids, one of them's in heaven. I don't really talk to my family much now. I, I don't really reach out to them. It's, it's a two-way street. They don't reach out to me much. I don't reach out to them much. And I'm not really sad about it. There's a few in my family I really care about, but their life is their fucking business. And there are others that I just don't know. I have a better relationship with the dog that has to wear the muzzle than I do with a lot of members of my own family. That's, that's also what some people believe, is that family is something you build. So as a Christian who believes you should read the whole Bible and not just the parts of the Bible that end up in folk songs or in communist manifestos or in Nietzsche, as a Christian who tries to live the good life, the kingdom life, but screws up a lot, we're going to do some readings. And before you say, Dan, you can't use the word fuck and then read the Bible, you don't know what a curse is. You're going to learn a little bit more today. You don't have any idea what a curse is. You don't. Cursing is not a word that you define as bad, all right? Many of you use words I think are gross, like COVID or Rona. Fuck you. You use the word Rona like it's a, a real thing. And to me, that's not just a bad word. It's almost a fucking curse. So fuck you. We're going to read some of the Bible, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about family. This first reading is from Genesis, Genesis 4. And this is Genesis 4, 8, where we're starting out. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother, brother's, brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your, mother, your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out of the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This next reading is from Genesis 27. And I'm just going to read it and just start. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, I, he answered. Isaac said, I, I, am no, I am now, excuse me, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me tasty food to eat, so I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, listen carefully. To what I'm about to tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat. 
so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man. While I have some smooth skin, what if my, my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goatskins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my funny, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And after, after Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's present, his presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken my advantage of me. This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he said, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept out loud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given to him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. This next reading comes from Genesis 37. One day Joseph told his brothers what he had dreamed. 
and they hated him even more. Joseph said, let me tell you about my dream. We were out in a field tying up bundles of wheat. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles gathered around and bowed down to it. His brothers asked, do you really think you're going to be king and rule over us? Now they hated Joseph more than ever because of what he had said about that dream. Joseph later had another dream. He told his brothers, listen to what else I dreamed. The sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed down to me. When he told his father about this dream, his father became angry and said, what, that, what is that supposed to mean? Are your mother and I and your brothers all going to come and bow down to you? Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept wondering about the dream. One day when Joseph's brothers had taken the sheep to a pasture near Shechem, his father Jacob said to him, I want you to go to your brothers. They are with the sheep near Shechem. Yes, sir, Joseph answered. His father said, go and find out how your brothers and the sheep are doing. Then come back and let me know. So he sent him from Hebron Valley. Joseph was near Shechem and wandering through the fields when a man asked, what are you looking for? And Joseph answered, I'm looking for my brothers who are watching the sheep. Can you tell me where they are? They're not here anymore, the man answered. I overheard them say they were going to Dothan. Dothan. Joseph left and found his brothers in Dothan, but before he got there, they saw him coming and made plans to kill him. They said to one another, Look, here comes the hero of those dreams. Let's kill him and throw him into a pit and say some wild animal ate him. Then we'll see what happens to those dreams. Reuben heard this and tried to protect Joseph from them. Let's not kill him, he said. Don't murder him or even harm him. Just throw him into a well out there in the desert. Reuben planned to rescue Joseph later. And take him back to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they pulled off his fancy coat and threw him into a dry well. As Joseph's brothers sat down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with all kinds of spices that they were taking to Egypt. So Judah said, what will we gain if we kill our brother and hide his body? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not harm him. After all, he is our brother. And the others agreed. When the Midianite, Midianite merchants came by, Joseph's brothers took him out of the well, and for 20 pieces of silver, they sold him to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. This next reading is from Matthew. Matthew 10, 34 through 36. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. This is the word of Jesus Christ, Matthew 10, 34 through 36. Here's a reading from Mark, Mark 3, 35. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The word of Jesus Christ, right? Here's a reading from Mark 10, 28 through 30. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, 
No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. If you're a Christian, I need to point out a couple things. Number one, this is a small selection of verses from the Old and New Testament where our Lord talks to us about family. And it should be clear from the beginning, the very, very, very fucking beginning, that family is not what you think it is if you listen to some of the quote-unquote churches of today. They'll tell you about family, and some churches... And I'm not saying the Lord, but actual buildings and 501c3s. They'll tell you that family is everything, that your biological family is everything, and that only through this particular church are you going to stay together. And in that are two conceits and two lies. Okay, Number one, according to Jesus, your biological family is not everything. Number two, there is no physical building or 501c3 or specific preacher that's going to help you keep your family together. Prayer, meditation, love, trying to find peace, these are things that will help your family stay together. But going to a Catholic church every Sunday, hoping for some miracle, listen, the miracle was that you got to be born into this world and you were given this life. Now, live it. Figure it out. Read the Bible. If you want to understand the cruelty of brothers and sisters to each other, there are innumerable examples in the Bible. The Bible is replete, both Old and New Testament, with examples of biological family treating each other like shit. And you could say that the Lord hopes we do better, but the fact is, the Lord's not about hope. The Lord's about a plan, about principle. The Lord in heaven is our father. And as Christians, we are brothers and sisters. But as far as the Ecclesiastes life goes, weddings, marriages, funerals, um, baptisms, I mean, as far as the ordinary things of life and biological family go, these are incidental to faith. These are incidental to the Lord in heaven and our relationship, which transcends the relationship we have with brothers and sisters. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not religious, if you're an atheist, then you probably have an even darker view. If if you're rational about this, if you're logical about this, there is nothing in biology that guarantees that your brothers and sisters won't toss you in a well. Even having a faith that tells you that the Lord in heaven is always watching doesn't keep you from stoning your brother to death. And if a, if a man named Jesus comes across your way while you're you know fishing somewhere near the Sea of Galilee and he says to you, drop everything, drop your wife, drop your children, drop your brothers and your sisters, drop everything, leave your community behind and follow me. If a man named Jesus does that, I hate to break it to you, but there's a lot of ordinary, everyday wreckage that is left behind. There is. And that, too, is part of God's plan. I don't understand it all, in part, for the obvious reason why none of us do. I am not God, and neither are you. So when I talk to people about family... When I try to explain to them that family might not mean what they think it means, that's what I'm kind of getting at. That's my point. Um, In recent years, I've understood 
that there are people in my family who I can probably trust. And there are people I can't. And they might even feel the same way about me. And that's okay. I, I'm at peace with that. Before I left Seattle in 2021, a family member connected the death to some random friend. And really, if you did any analysis, if you understood the hospital systems, um, there's a better person to point your finger at, and that's called the hospital system. But a family member, instead of thinking logically or actually really giving a shit about their friend, associated the death of their friend with me not wearing coffee filters, with me not, you know, jabbing myself with a poison or placebo. Because I don't know if the vaccine is is anything. I just know that you don't need a vaccine or horse dewormer for imaginary pandemics. You don't. You really, really, really don't. You don't. You don't need a vaccine for Bigfoot, and you don't need a vaccine for make-believe pandemics. You don't. But this particular family member connected the death of her friend to my choices, and in a very passive-aggressive, shitty Seattle kind of way of doing it, and it was one of the last memories I had leaving Seattle. So ask me how much I am hurting inside that I'm not in Seattle. Listen, things stress me out. I need more money to pay rent. I need more money to buy food. Everybody could use enough cash to get by. But leaving Seattle in the rearview mirror and leaving those people behind, some of whom, you know, they'd call themselves family, but again, only in the biblical sense, right? And you got to read the whole Bible. Are they family? I have family members who would toss me down a well. And that's been true my whole life. And maybe they feel the same way. I don't know. I know one thing for sure. The choices they made, they felt they needed to make, are radically different from mine. They still need to believe in a lot of things that have nothing to do with God. And in that sense, there's a kind of functional atheism going on. Even if they say, well, I go to Catholic Church. Well, I don't think you understand what you're going to. But at the same time, I really don't think you understand what it means to have faith. If you have faith in Christ, you try to live a Christian life in every part of your existence. And you don't use excuses like the idea that you can go see a priest and say, forgive me for all my sins. It's not really how it works. The Lord in heaven forgave us of all of our sins one big time on the cross. And it is true. Every sin was forgiven. But what is also true is that the Lord forgave you, not some skeevy priest who may or may not be a child abuser. That's really important. That distinction is fucking critical. Okay? The Lord in heaven on the cross forgave you. Not some random priest, not some random preacher, not some cult leader. Jesus did. Something a lot of churches don't get, really. Just like they don't know what a curse is. I hope you heard that word curse in there and understand what a curse is now. Curse is not a blessing. It's the opposite of a blessing. A curse is not a prayer. It is the opposite of a prayer. A curse is asking the Lord to hurt somebody, to punish somebody. A curse is saying, Lord in heaven, will you take your fist of God and smash my enemies? I know the difference because a few months ago when Aman Bhutani, the crappy, shitty CEO of GoDaddy, took all my resources, all my IP, all my prepaid fees, and, and by the way, I'm not rich, so it was several thousand dollars worth of property at least, maybe more, that was ripped off. I did in fact say, Lord, will you smite this piece of shit? Now here's what's critical. Even though that was a sin, it was never, ever likely that the Lord would do anything. It's one of the reasons why you shouldn't curse. Cursing doesn't do anything, okay? It doesn't have an effect upon God because God has a plan and God makes, you know, his own decisions. But I've cursed before. Saying fuck or shit or bullshit is not a curse. But if you go around saying, I wish you were dead, well, that's technically a curse, and if you pray to the Lord in heaven that somebody should die, that is a super duper mega curse. You should know the difference. If you're going to face Jesus on judgment day, you should know the difference between some culture's definition of a bad word, which changes over time, dumbass, and an actual fucking curse. You should know the difference. I know I, I beat this like a, a dead horse, but people have gotten this one way wrong. 
And because of that, a lot of people have been doing things they shouldn't do. They have been wishing their brothers and sisters, their friends and family, their communities, destruction. I believe destruction's coming, but it's not because of a curse. It's not because of something I want. I'd prefer it not to happen. I'd rather just be crazy. But if there is a curse, it's not a curse that has to do with an individual. It is the, the absolute curse of reality. In fact, if you want to understand the curse of reality, understand the curses set upon Adam and Eve as they left Eden. Okay, They were cursed to live in a world where shit happens, where stuff dies, where sometimes you get poisoned, and sometimes your family tosses you down a fucking well. It's not Eden, baby. Okay, If you dig up all the fuel, all the coal, all the oil, it doesn't magically refill. If you poison the fucking oceans, they don't magically fix themselves. If you drop poison from the sky, there's no magical force field that prevents people from getting Alzheimer's disease. This is the in-between world, baby. Read the Bible. If you're a Christian, you need to fucking understand it. I spent most of this podcast on a couple basic topics. Number one, nobody wants to hear bad news. That's not exactly a news flash. It's not a headline. In some ways, it's common sense, but it should also tell you that when you read the newspaper, in the best of times, like if you lived in a free republic, if we lived in a country that was free and you picked up the newspaper, just based upon human behavior, you're going to read headlines that exhibit this, that exhibit two things. Number one, Things have never been better, and here's a horrible story. Okay, you get those two things. You get, things are really great, and always will get better, but wait a minute, somebody killed somebody, and isn't that interesting? And that belies something too, doesn't it? It kind of tells its own story. But you don't live in a free country, dude. You don't live in a free society. You live in a highly manipulated police state. It masquerades as a free society, just like that make-believe village across the DMZ in Korea masquerades as a village. It's just a big, empty fucking plywood building. That freedom town with the 20-foot-tall speakers playing happy workers' music. But it is a Potemkin abstraction of absurd bullshit, just like this country calling itself free. In fact, in some ways, it's an insult against God because only the Lord can give you freedom, and yet the United States Constitution and those people that believe in it pretend that a piece of paper does. And that's a lot of conceit and a lot of stupidity. And, and for those folks, I say this over and over again, read 1 Samuel chapter 8. Read it 50 fucking times. Understand it. Understand that there's a curse in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and it's the reason why no matter how you vote in November, you will still get fucked. Okay, that's it. Doesn't matter. It does not matter. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Socialist, Communist, whatever douchebag party you vote for, it doesn't fucking matter. There is a curse upon you and a curse upon me. We could have had one Lord that we could have obeyed, and instead, we kept looking for the shiny shit. We had the fear of missing out, right? If you have $800 billion, $80 trillion, if you're super rich and have massive crypto hodlings, if you've invested in the stock market the last 10 years every day at 2.30 p.m. and you have gazillions of dollars still in your stash account next to your cocaine and your 18 hookers, you can donate to this podcast. 
you can give me monies and remuneration for the whatever bad news I give you, chances are you won't because see, see above, right? But if you have a gazillion dollars and you love this podcast, you can go ahead and donate. It's, it's up to you, baby. If you have a trillion bucks, if you have a billion bucks, see that PayPal link? I haven't been canceled yet. It's probably coming, baby, sometime this year. Maybe we're all about to be canceled. Yeah, if you want to donate to this podcast, you can. You don't have to. I have a few donors who do so regularly. And... um, They are regular donors, and they are far too generous. And one of my hopes, which was probably based upon a lot of wishful thinking, again, it's how you end up in the bone pile. Um, One of my hopes was is I would get to the point where I could pay rent and pay for food. Hell, you know, if I could get to a thousand bucks a month, I would be doing okay right now. A thousand bucks a month gets my rent paid, and a thousand bucks a month covers me for food and a few other things. but there are lots of people on Planet Boblim Talk right now that don't have shit. There are a lot of people right now in Libya and Syria and other places where there's nothing but chaos, starvation, and thirst. There are a lot of places right now, like in China, where people are put on an operating table, their organs are carved out and shipped to Tel Aviv for a quickie operation for some rich guy. So actually, I'm doing pretty fucking well when you compare it to those circumstances, really. But if you want to donate, you can. I I think at this point, it really doesn't matter. You could take the money and go and buy some food, and that might help. But how much food can you buy at this point? Not enough. And even if you've been prepping for the last 10 years, and I think some people have, I've said this before, I'll say it again. For what is coming, there's not enough bullets. There's not enough, you know, water filters. Not enough storable food. Not enough anything, okay? For what is coming, you won't have enough. And if you understand that, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but if you understand that for what is coming, you can't pile enough shit to guarantee your survival, your likelihood of survival increases. Because you'll understand at that moment that it's more about what you know and what you understand than necessarily the pile of shit you have in your basement. Don't get me wrong. I think prepping in certain ways is a great idea, but there is not enough stuff for you to pile. There is no place far enough away on Planet Boblimtok. And no matter where you go, especially if you're one of these evil scumbags that have been orchestrating the military psychological warfare of the last couple of years, no matter where you go, the Lord sees you. No matter where you go, the justice will be done. It doesn't matter. You can get on a rocket ship, if such things are real, with Elon Musk, and you can head to Alpha Centauri, motherfucker, and the Lord will see you. You can't go far enough away. The whole universe is His If you want to donate, you can. There's a PayPal link. If you don't want to, you don't have to. It's always helpful to use email to send links for this podcast because my emails get stopped, my mail gets opened, my phone calls get listened to, and I'm not special, 
A lot of people are experiencing this kind of East Germany rinky-dink nonsense right now. So uh, you could help by simply being somebody who might not be so controlled, at least now. You might be down the road if you start doing this. But you could help by simply forwarding these emails to people who might be interested. Um, if you have money, donate. If you don't, don't. I don't want to tell you. If you donated a million bucks and said, I'll give you a million bucks if all you do is focus on positive stuff, well, then that means I go back to writing fiction again. And, and I'll, I'll do that, man. I'll write fiction. If you want to pay me money to just write stories and read them on, you know, read them into this as MP3s, man, just, you got to give me a lot of money, though. But yeah, a million bucks, I'll do it. Because we are well beyond the point of education, and as I said, nobody wants bad news. Nobody wants to be told things that they don't want to hear. People have egos, and they have aggression, and they have desire, and they have obsession. And if you come into their world and say, that woman doesn't love you, that dog is going to bite you, that car is going to explode, if you tell people shit that ruins their party, they're going to toss you down a fucking well. And it doesn't matter if you're family, it doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad or a brother or sister, it does not matter. The strongest connection you're ever going to have with another person is vis-a-vis -vis Jesus Christ, period. If you have that there, then there's a good chance you'll weather the storm. But if all you have is a shared checking account, good fucking luck. Have a great rest of your Sunday, baby.